I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening if you love sports and true crime then there's a new podcast from executive producer dan patrick and hosted by me jay harris that you won't want to miss playing dirty sports scandals each week i'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever i'm talking marcus dixon olympic gymnastics kane velasquez salacious super bowl level scandals Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Jenny Vrentis. I'm here with Connor Orr on this week's episode of the Weekside Podcast. And no matter where you live in America, we all know this is an important time in our country. Last week, we saw the death of a Minneapolis man, George Floyd, after a white officer held his knee on Floyd's neck for several minutes while Floyd called out in distress and asked for his mother. It was difficult to watch, and it highlighted a problem that's existed here for 400-some years. Now we're being asked to confront racism in new ways. In the wake of Floyd's death, there were, have been ongoing protests in cities across America, and this was, of course, what Colin Kaepernick was protesting four years ago. And looking back, it's hard to imagine that the country did not heed his wake-up call. He was not the only one speaking up. It was not a new problem, but he did so in a way that should have commanded our attention. Instead, our focus was shifted onto the method of the protest rather than the underlying problem, which is something I think we see all too often and certainly have seen in the past several days. 
Over the weekend, the NFL seemed to take the opportunity to author a sort of revisionist history, still not acknowledging the role that Kaepernick has played in our social consciousness and trying to atone for some of the sins of its past. I think Connor wanted to talk a little bit about some of those things, some of the things that have come up uh, from the NFL over the weekend and a little bit of a discussion of those. And at the end, I think we will seed to read some passages from black voices that are important. We acknowledge that we are both white. Uh, we have grown up with white privilege and we are not the best people to be talking about this, but we have a twice a week platform on the week side podcast and we want to try to spotlight some of those black voices and also have a discussion as best we can at what our country is facing right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, to start there, I guess, with, with everything that happened with the NFL, their statement aside, I thought that it was incredibly powerful to see Brian Flores come out uh, and make that first step towards releasing a statement. And I thought there were some good points made over the weekend that we should be paying attention to who's talking, who's talking first, and who's not talking at all during this. And, you know, if you're a football player or if you're just a fan, if you're a person wondering whose side um, you're on, uh, you know, this is history. We're living it right now. And, you know, someone like for someone like Brian Flores uh, to come out and say what he did at the time that he did, um, I thought was incredibly brave. I thought what he had to say was incredibly smart. Um, and then you have everything sort of filtering in behind it. Some of it maybe uh, less genuine, um, more in search of this elusive middle ground uh, that the NFL seems to be so fond and f- familiar with. Um, but, you know, I, I think that the, at least we can be encouraged in the slightest that there are people out there who are willing to take that step um, in the league and to be that first person out there to say, hey, this is not okay. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm willing to come out there and say it. Yeah, that's a great put way of putting it, Connor. And I'm, I'm really glad that you started there. Uh, and I agree. I think for a black head coach like Brian Flores, it's he's going into his second season as a head coach. He was leading a team that was tanking last year. You know, there are a lot of reasons where he could have said, I'm not going to throw myself into the fray on this issue. But it was too important for him not to. And I thought his words were really strong. Calling the problem what it is, I think it's important to address directly the way that George Floyd was killed and to address directly the problem of systemic racism and police brutality that is unfairly targeted toward people of color. And so I think when we talk about those issues, it's important to be direct about them. When the NFL kind of entered the scene on this, I felt like they weren't direct about it. Uh, you know, they said they were saddened by the tragic events. Uh, the protesters' reactions reflect the pain, anger, and frustration that so many of us feel. They then expressed condolences to the families of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery, which are just a handful of people of color who were unfairly killed in circumstances that are rooted in racism. Um, the, the next part, you know, talked about, well, these tragedies inform the NFL's commitment and ongoing efforts. We recognize the power of our platforms. We embrace that responsibility and are committed to continuing the important work to address these systemic issues. And, you know, I think that's really what wrong empty in the words. And that's something, of course, 
that people of color, black people in America feel more acutely. Um, but even as a white person, you can see that those words ring hollow, given what happened to Colin Kaepernick. You know, their NFL's main message when Kaepernick was unemployed after he began his protest to against systemic racism and police brutality in America was this protest to progress movement. That's how they kept shifting the conversation. I think the danger of that is it puts one over the other when I think what we know is that you need both, right? You need protests and then you need other efforts to bring about change. But protest is often the catalyst. We've seen this in many movements for equal rights in our country, that you need the protests. And so they were basically saying it's fine for the NFL to create a platform to donate millions to social justice causes. And that's great. That is doing a lot of good. But they positioned it as it was that instead of the protest. It was them tacitly, or maybe more than tacitly, condemning the protest. And um, I think that was really the error. And that's something that they haven't acknowledged. You know, and I think one of the more important things that could go on right now is acknowledgement of errors and a commitment to fixing them, Connor. Yeah. And that statement was just, you know, I think it reflects a little bit of what everybody's so tired of. It was a word salad. It was completely meaningless. And this is all we get from anybody in charge when anything of consequence happens. There are people whose job it is to try to say something on topic without saying anything. And you can tell that these are the people who are writing these statements, and whether it's the NFL or General Motors or you know any of these p- brands, these giant mega corporations that are coming out now and trying to tell uh, these people who are hurting that they understand and please still buy our stuff and please still go to our games because we're not the problem. It's just all bullshit. Like you know, th- it's meaningless. And when I saw that statement, you know, it just reminded me of what I've thought about Goodell and the NFL for the last five years. And it's the first time that you actually come out and say something from the bottom of your heart, it's going to resonate with people because it's going to be so markedly different from everything that we've gotten from you since the beginning. And, you know, it's just infuriating. And I can't, and again, I mean, we've mentioned this. This is just me as a 31-year-old white guy who's lived a life of privilege. It's infuriating. I can't imagine hearing that from somebody who actually has to experience this stuff on a daily basis. And it's just... Like, for once, when any of this happens, just an ounce of humanity, it it, it doesn't take that much, but apparently is just a quantum leap for some of these people. And it's, uh, it's remarkable to me. It seemed like a lot of statements being released by leagues or teams were more of a box checking move, more concerned with the optics rather than actually addressing the root of the problem. And I think the NFL statements certainly fell under that category. Also over the weekend, Joe Lockhart, who worked in the Clinton administration and was also the NFL's former head of communications while the Kaepernick situation was unfolding in the league, while he was not getting job opportunities from teams, while 32 clubs at the same time decided that they would not employ him. And 
you know, nobody is saying that there was the collusion case was always okay. Yes, maybe there wasn't a concerted effort, but they were all making this decision and no one was holding them accountable to it. So he writes, you know, signing Colin Kaepernick, owners thought was bad for business. He says that one team told him they projected losing 20% of their season ticket holders if they did, and they didn't want to take that business risk. They were willing, though, he writes, to spend those millions to help address the problem of racial division in the country. For me, while I was uncomfortable with Colin not being signed, I told myself we were righteous in doing the hard work of making progress. I was mistaken. Now, I said earlier that there is a value in admitting that your actions didn't help or were wrong, but this is a different category because he doesn't work at the league anymore, so he's not taking any of the flack. He's not taking on any of the consequences, I guess, for making this admission. In fact, it's just the opposite. You know, it seems as though he is in search of some kind of absolution for the role he played, and he continues to detail some of the things that changed his mind, and it's uh, it's somewhat stunning to think that only at this point, hearing you know an account of Curtis Martin, who was stopped by police while looking for homes in Long Island, would be the thing that changed his mind. But a lot of my thoughts in the Lockhart piece were said much better by our former colleague, Jonathan Jones, who now works at CBS Sports. And I just was going to read a couple excerpts of his tweet, Connor, because I think Jonathan's voice on this was a really good one. Definitely. Um, he wrote, the only point of Lockhart's piece is to absolve himself of his guilt from his role in this. His inactivity, along with his hope that the problem would go away if they threw money at it, was very much a part of Colin's effective blackballing. There has never been anything controversial or political about peacefully protesting racial inequality. Many people, most of them black, were saying this exact same thing years ago. People like Lockhart apparently did not want to listen. His absolution request is blanketed by the ending, which publicly asks the Vikings owners to do something here. Only now, after yet another unarmed black man has been murdered at the hands of law enforcement, that something must be done. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And so often throughout history, and you know, when people become aware of how they're going to appear in history, make moves like this, right? And I think that this was one of the... like. There are no more original ideas, um, especially when it comes to, you know, old white people trying to get out of taking the blame for certain things. But this is straight out of the historical playbook. This is, you know, um, let me try to pivot this into making it seem like I was doing the right thing. When in reality, this was a business decision all along. I mean, Jonathan put it perfectly. And I think that, you know, had we had any ounce of leadership at the league level during that time, any person to go into that meeting and check these owners and just put a mirror in their face and say, what are you guys really saying? You know, I mean, just listen to yourselves for 30 seconds. Um, But nobody was brave enough to do it. And so now you have to do that sort of wriggling personal uh, twisting and gymnastics to try to make it seem like, well, what I was actually doing is trying to fix the problem, which is it's ridiculous. And I think that one of the values of this weekend of people encouraging people who are leading the peaceful protest and encouraging us to listen was that it gave us time to reflect and to read. And, and we're going to get to some of that in a little bit. But I think one of the things that really stuck with me was, you know, the people who had the chance to do something about this and didn't, especially at that level. 
um, their punishment is living with this forever. And they can put out a statement saying whatever they want, and they can try to convince people that they were trying to do the right thing and that they had all these you know, high-minded ideals in their mind, but only they know in their heart what they were really trying to do. And you know, I think that a lot of us can probably take a guess at what that really was. So you know, I think that that's the most, in a lot of ways, living with that, I would imagine, would be much more painful. So... Yeah, absolutely, Connor. And, you know, the way the column ends with this request to the Vikings to employ Kaepernick, that to me felt like really one of those moves. First of all, it wasn't something that they were willing to do, call out owners for not signing Kaepernick. It wasn't something the league was willing to do or while Lockhart was employed there that he was willing to do. Um, But also to say that the team that's in the city where George Floyd is killed, that if they sign Kaepernick, that'll make everything better. (laughs) Uh, That that felt to me like just a very thin thing. And also, like, why would Kaepernick accept that, right? You know, he's been trying to get back into the league, and he hasn't been given an opportunity. You know, Lockhart said now he realizes the value of a symbol at attempts at progress. But... Does Kaepernick want to be used in that way, a way for the NFL to not to address the optics rather than the root problem? You know, I think that's key for all organizations right now. Beyond statements or the initial show, what are you actually doing to hire people of color, but also make sure they're entering an inclusive culture? And maybe inclusive is such a weak word because it's more than that. Entering somewhere where, where black or Uh, employees or people of color can feel like they can fully express themselves, not have to pressure to conform to white social norms, whether that be hairstyle, clothing, or even the way that they express themselves about issues that matter to them, you know? And so I I think it's kind of foolish to say like, let's just throw an offer at Kaepernick to make that all better because he's smarter than that. And, you know, he's, he made a point, no one chose to listen and he doesn't want some, uh, band-aid kind of thrown on the problem at this point in time it's it's beyond foolish it's like this is exactly like the nfl saying okay well uh we're gonna solve this problem by hiring jay-z and it's all gonna go away we're gonna solve this problem by having the vikings sign colin kaepernick that just illustrates the level of blindness at which people are operating that that this would cause any sort of uplift in anybody's spirit right now. I mean, holy crap, you know? It's just, I, again, I, I there's nothing else I can do but feel awful for the people who have to experience this every day and then try to be immediately pacified by people who are worried that they're on the wrong side of history. It's just this really gross cycle. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, it really is. And, you know, I, how any of those people in power in particular sleep at night i i don't know Uh, especially when you try to do something like that and you say hey vikings just sign kaepernick and everything will be better like my god it it and it was written you weren't on tv you had a chance to go and look that over and make sure it didn't sound stupid but yeah this is make uh, sure yeah make sure that was really what you wanted to say i know it's yeah it's um, it's disrespectful to the experiences of black people in our country. Another thing that I was thinking a lot about, Connor, is a lot of the discussion over the past several days from sports teams and leagues has centered on, well, we have a very diverse locker room with everyone working together and we want that to be the way our country is. Um, and I don't want to discount that. I mean, I think you do learn a lot from being around people with different life experiences I know that I have learned a lot about race from 
covering sports and interviewing people and listening to their experiences who are different from mine. But I also think that idea minimizes the, the, the fact that people can come together for a common interest, often out of self-interest, right? You know, you're uniting with yes. teammates to try to win a championship. You can do that and still have racist tendencies. So I think looking at it in this context of, I've seen people of all races work together in the locker room, can deter white pe people from doing the self-examination that's needed. You know, it's inevitable to all of us who are white that racist tendencies seep in even unconsciously in a country that has prioritized the white experience above all others. And I think that's why we need to all educate and self-examine regularly. And being on a team with black players doesn't eliminate the need for that. It doesn't mean that racism doesn't live in those locker rooms. I mean, and I think Kaepernick illustrates that. Once he began protesting against police brutality, the league suddenly viewed him as toxic. Some of the same people who played with him, against him, among him, while he was a quarterback who led the team to a Super Bowl, he fit right into a locker room. When he asked our country to confront the uncomfortable issue of systemic racism and to confront their own role in that, they said he did not fit into a locker room. So that, to me, says all you need to know. It does. And look at all the other players who teams have contorted themselves painfully to excuse the signings of after myriad real horrifying issues. You know what I mean? Like it, like stuff that should harm uh, an owner's pocket, but apparently doesn't because our priorities are so ass backwards here that we're more upset about somebody just saying, hey, this is going on than... I don't know. I don't want to go. I don't want to start going down the line here, but I think everybody knows it can, you know, sadly, there's probably one player on all 32 teams that fans can immediately point to and say that this person probably in the perfect world makes me more than uncomfortable, you know, having there. And our team has done some sort of backflip or somersault to defend the fact that we've signed him. And, you know, meanwhile, all this other stuff is happening. I don't know. It's 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 uh, it's maddening to say the least, you know. And the idea also that owners were making a business decision, I think, is um, a little giving. Um, what's the right word I'm looking for? I feel like that's a little bit too favorable. Uh, you know, the idea that if you sign Kaepernick, you would, as Lockhart stated, you know, lose 20 percent of your season ticket holders. Well, first of all, you don't know that. But second of all, you also don't know. I mean, and certainly there was so much support for Kaepernick being signed by a team like both of those things existed in our country who's saying one is bigger than the other you don't know like how can you know that calculation I think a lot more of it came down to not wanting to fall out of favor with the president who many yeah. owners have donated money to so I think saying it's a business decision really minimizes too what it was yeah I mean and that's what so many people have privately or publicly um, leaned on and it's such a crutch during this time because everybody in a position of power uh, you know it's it's irresponsible to say that there used to be some sort of morality and and code because clearly if there was we wouldn't be in the position that we were in now but I feel like we used to be a little bit more driven by something other than a bottom line and it's just become a default setting for anybody um who's in any position of power and all these te all these teams all these leagues are just run by these just you know it's just this faceless entity it's not even a human being anymore and i feel like that's 
part of the ultimate frustration is that when any of these criticisms are lobbed at them, it's not even they're not even getting a real response in return or a real consideration. It's just run through this magic machine that tells you, well, the numbers are this way if we're going to do this and the numbers are that way if we're going to do that. And so this is our decision. And then we're going to hire some uh, crisis communications firm to pull all the numbers and try to find a way to say it to you that makes it feel a little bit better. And it's just... You know, it, it's no it's no wonder that people are so frustrated, you know, and, uh, you know, it's uh, I don't know. It's a sad state of affairs. And I wish that the NFL in its position um, and thankfully, you know, like we talked about at the top of the show, there's been some coaches, I think, and some players who have really taken a hard step forward when other people wouldn't. But, man, I mean, this the NFL is a Titanic of society. I mean, they can do a lot. Uh, with their platform and their voice um, and coming out and just offering some human glimpse here would have been really special. And I think it was a huge opportunity missed. And it's something that, you know, what they're going to do is they're going to come back six months later when it's politically safe to do so. Right. And they're going to have cover and they're going to say, well, you know, uh, we honor these people and blah, blah, blah. And if you do, you would have done it now. You would have done it yesterday. You would have done it three days ago. And you would have done it four years ago when Colin Kaepernick started um, because it was a real thing back then, too. And it was a real thing in the hundreds of years before that, too. But um, I just think it's ultimately sad that they missed a great opportunity to enact some real change. And I hope that they I really do hope that they feel that. And, you know, I'm. We're two people, and, you know, I could say the same about myself, too. I mean, you know, what have I really done? What have, you know, have I done enough? And, you know, I think that there's certainly that aspect of it, but when you're a billion-dollar corporation that is a societal tentpole, um, you can do something really special during these times and meaningful, or you can choose to sit out, and they, for the most part, have sat out. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the idea of making a million dollar contribution, like, okay, that's great for an owner to do that. But then at the same token, you're saying it was a business decision to not sign Kaepernick. Really, it comes down to greed. But, you you know, you're saying you weren't willing to take a small skim off the top, potentially, which, again, we don't even know if that's true. Right. As a billionaire, um, to sign a player who deserves to be on a roster. I mean, so it's just a lot of things that don't add up. And I think also kind of what you were getting to, Connor, there's a lot of people who have taken this issue on, you know, Kenny Stills called called BS on Goodell's statement. You know, we saw um, we saw what Flores said. I mean, there are a lot of people who are willing to talk about these issues head on. Um, but again, you know, the onus is on, unfortunately, on people of color to talk about this and to make us consider this. And it shouldn't be that way. You know, this is not a problem of their own making. And Kaepernick obviously paid a steep price. He paid the price of his career to try to force us to confront a problem. And, you know, this is just the latest example of how America turned a blind eye to that wake-up call. Yeah, absolutely. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. 
and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and Challenge All-Star. And speaking of All-Stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, so I think, Connor, let's move into, I think we each selected a couple excerpts of black voices that are important to consider. It's something that we took something from and learned something from, and we thought it would be just a nice way to read a couple excerpts um, to share some black voices on our podcast, people whose perspectives are valuable and meaningful and eye-opening, and we hope they are for our listeners too. Um, so I'll, I'll start with the first one. Uh, I, I picked 
part of an essay from The New Yorker in November 2016, right after the election, by the great Toni Morrison, a prophetic voice that we lost too soon. Um, It's called Making America White Again. So I'll start reading just a couple of paragraphs that she wrote. Under slave laws, the necessity for color rankings was obvious. But in America today, this is a serious project. All immigrants to the United States know and knew that if they want to become real, authentic Americans, they must reduce their fealty to their native country and regard it as secondary, subordinate, in order to emphasize their whiteness. Unlike any nation in Europe, the United States holds whiteness as the unifying force. Here, for many people, the definition of Americanness is color. Under slave laws, the necessity for color rankings was obvious, but in America today, post-civil rights legislation, white people's conviction of their natural superiority is being lost, rapidly lost. There are people of color everywhere, threatening to erase this long-understood definition of America. And what then? Another black president? A predominantly black Senate? Three black Supreme Court justices? The threat is frightening. In order to limit the possibility of this untenable change and restore whiteness to its former status as a marker of national identity, a number of white Americans are sacrificing themselves. They have begun to do things they clearly don't really want to be doing, and to do so they are abandoning their sense of human dignity and risking the appearance of cowardice. Much as they may hate their behavior and know full well how craven it is, they are willing to kill small children attending Sunday school and slaughter churchgoers who invite a white boy to pray. Embarrassing as the obvious display of cowardice must be, they are willing to set fire to churches and to start firing in them while the members are at prayer. And shameful as such demonstrations of weakness are, they are willing to shoot black children in the street. To keep alive the perception of white superiority, these Americans tuck their heads under cone-shaped hats and American flags and deny themselves the dignity of face-to-face confrontation, training their guns on the unarmed, the innocent, the scared, on subjects who are running away, exposing their unthreatening backs to bullets. Surely, shooting a fleeing man in the back hurts the presumption of white strength. The sad plight of grown white men crouching beneath their better selves to slaughter the innocent during traffic stops, to push black women's faces into the dirt, to handcuff black children, only the frightened would do that, right? These sacrifices made by supposedly tough white men who are prepared to abandon their humanity out of fear of black men and women suggest the true horror of lost status. End of the excerpt. So I thought that was that was really powerful, and I had also read other interviews where she sort of talked about the in America, the country is built on this unifying force of being whiteness. Um, and I think that if you start considering that that's how our, the fabric of our country is stitched, I feel like that is a helpful starting point of understanding where black people are coming from. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can take, uh, I have two uh, short ones um, from Ta-Nehisi Coates's book, Between the World and Me, uh, which really s- stuck out, I think, today. Uh, and over the weekend in particular. Uh, The first is just uh, one sentence that he says, I would not have you descend into your own dream. I would have you be a conscious citizen of this terrible and beautiful world, Um, which to me, you know, really embodies the fact that, you know, I think we had a president who was elected in part because he sold people on this dream of this past that wasn't even true and you know we all kind of have a tendency to retreat into our own realities without um 
any consciousness. Um, and I think this weekend was one of those times where it, it, it peeled the, uh, peeled the layers back a little bit and forced people to look and, uh, and see what's actually happening beyond sort of these little worlds that we create for ourselves. Um, and just the other was, um, all of our phrasing, race relations, racial chasm, racial justice, racial profiling, white privilege, even white supremacy, serves to obscure that racism is a visceral experience, that it dislodges brains, blocks airways, rips muscle, extracts organs, cracks bones, breaks teeth. You must never look away from this. You must always remember that the sociology the history, the economics, the graphs, the charts, the regressions, all land with great violence upon the body. Um, and just, you know, again, I mean, this is, uh, I think watching that, what happened um, in Minnesota, um, just kind of brought that to mind in particular. It's that, you know, there are real world consequences for only a certain segment of society and we find these ways to call it something else or to kind of lump it into a chart but you know this was uh, this was a good person this was somebody that we you know we should be taking care of as a fellow citizen and you know this shouldn't have happened so I thought that was uh that was valuable and and kind of really uh struck a chord with me and hopefully somebody else that listened today too yeah, thanks for sharing those, Connor. Those are really good selections. Likewise. Um, and the, I just had two more paragraphs from an essay called Black Riot from the New Inquiry Online Magazine by Raven Rakia. Most resistance is nonviolent, but those who choose to be nonviolent should not dismiss or distance themselves from others who use violence strategically. When demanding change, all tactics must be brought to the table. Selective historians consider this unnecessary. They will use the civil rights movement's nonviolent resistance as an example. They will demand that you stand perfectly still as you get sprayed by water hoses and attacked by police dogs. They'll conveniently forget to mention that while MLK was leading nonviolent resistance in the form of sit-ins and marches, quote-unquote riots were raging through America's black ghettos. It was the potential for more riots, like those that exploded in Birmingham in 1963 as the Freedom Riders campaign grew increasingly resistant to police violence that had Robert Kennedy convincing his brother to pass civil rights legislation, lest the whole country follow suit. In a world where blacks are forced to wear their perceived violence on their skin, many will see violent tactics as moving backwards. Some will caution the masses against using violence toward property as a tactic. They will ask everyone to stay calm and collected. Pay attention to where they are yelling from, their luxury apartment, perhaps. The state and the elite are counting on this, the notion that all black violence is uncivilized or barbaric. But what is more realistically threatening than moving backwards is staying right where we are, in a society where black people are always already guilty, pleading for change instead of demanding it will do just that. So I thought that was a, a helpful context, too, for some of the protests that we're seeing across the country and, and how they're being framed um, and perhaps make some people who don't know what to make of the protest kind of consider them from that perspective, a different lens. Uh, I thought that was a really good thing to share as well. Definitely. Well, I think that's all we have for today. Connor was uh, obviously it was an important subject to address. And like I said, at the top of the show, you know, we're, we're both white and it's, 
I, you know, it's not an experience that we've had in our lives. And so we know that our voices are inadequate. Uh, you know, on Friday, our, our guild at Sports Illustrated tweeted out the sad reality that we have no black writers on staff at Sports Illustrated. And, and that's a really disappointing failure. Um, and that's something that we have been pushing and will continue to push to resolve. That was not something that we just noticed. Um, but I, we felt it acutely when uh, important uh, crossroads of our country come up and we're unable to have the gift of black voices on our staff to share their perspectives. Um, we're worse for that. Uh, we're worse for not being able to have that depth of coverage of systemic racism leading up to that point. Um, and I hope that's something that our organization takes seri seriously moving forward and we'll work together with the employees that so desperately want to change this. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, hopefully, you know, again, like we said, there's there's nothing that we can say or at this point should say it's, you know, it's our turn to listen, you know, and I hope that by at least passing along some voices of influence, um, we can help at least contribute to that conversation in some semi-meaningful way. Yeah. On that note, I think we'll sign off. Thanks, everyone, for joining us, and we'll see you again later this week. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. 
Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.